Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 100 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question, how practically do we take refuge in the Lord? So, greetings and salutations, friends, and happy whatever day it is. I think it's Tuesday today, but the days are running so much together that I'm really only pretty sure it's April, and I'm quite certain that we are still, sadly, in 2020, the most remarkable and craziest year of my life so far. Yesterday, our eight-year-old was talking about the next pandemic to come along and wondering what we might do then. And my first thought was, well, pandemics are really pretty rare. My second thought was, I hope there is no pandemic. And my third thought was actually thinking about for our eight-year-old, this particular pandemic is going to take up a significant portion of her life so far if it stretches much further. Uh, but I'm hoping that things will uh, come quickly back to normal and that this situation of pandemic never becomes normal for her. I hope it's a blip for her and for you and for all of us. So I hope you guys are holding up well. Today's Bible readings are Leviticus chapter 10, Psalm chapter 11 and 12, Proverbs 25, and 1 Thessalonians 4. Our focus passage today is derived from Psalms 11.1, which says, I have taken refuge in the Lord. In today's short episode, I'd like for us to consider two things about this passage, what, what it means theologically that the Lord is our refuge, and practically, how can we take refuge in Him? So let's read those two Psalms passages in question and come back and discuss how the Lord is our refuge. Psalm chapter 11, verse 1. I have taken refuge in the Lord. How can you say to me, escape to the mountains like a bird? For look, the wicked string bows. They put their arrows on bowstrings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, his throne is in heaven. His eyes watch, his gaze examines everyone. The Lord examines the righteous, but he hates the wicked and those who love violence. Let him rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. Let a scorching wind be the portion in their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. Psalm chapter 12 verse 1. Help, Lord, for no faithful one remains. The loyal have disappeared from the human race. They lie to one another. They speak with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastfully. They say, through our tongues we have power, our lips are our own. Who can be our master? Because of the devastation of the needy and the groaning of the poor, I will now rise up, says the Lord. I will provide safety for the one who longs for it. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in an earthen furnace, purified seven times. You, Lord, will guard us. You will protect us from this generation forever. The wicked prowl all around, and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. So those both of those psalms right there talk about the protection of the Lord. So let me ask you a question. What's your favorite hymn? Mine kind of changes. I have a lot of hymns I like, and I like some of the modern worship songs too. But I think my favorite hymn overall is usually going to be A Mighty Fortress is Our God by Martin Luther. The first verse is just fantastic. 
A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe to seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. So that hymn is based on passages like Psalm 11.1 that we just read. And also, maybe even more specifically, on a psalm like Psalm 46, which I'm going to read now which says, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its water roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil. Selah. There is a river. Its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations rage, kingdoms topple, the earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Come see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. He makes war cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Stop your fighting and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Now verse 5, if you may be familiar with it, it's one of the most quoted verses on social media and Instagram in particular. But we should probably point out that when it says God is within her, she will not fail. The her is not you know, a particular female, the her is the city of God, the refuge of God, the shelter of God. That's what we're kind of talking about today. Many times in the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms, we are pointed to God's protection over his people, that he himself is our shelter, our refuge, our fort, our bulwark, our fortress, our walls of protection. So I'm going to read through some of these Psalms, not the whole things, but just portions of Psalms that talk about God as our protector. For instance, Psalm 27, 4 and 5 says, I've asked one thing from the Lord. It's what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Or how about Psalm 31, 19-20? How great is your goodness that you have stored up for those who fear you and accomplished in the sight of everyone for those who take refuge in you. You hide them in the protection of your presence. You conceal them in a shelter from human schemes, from quarrelsome tongues. Also, Psalms chapter 18, 2 and 3. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock where I seek refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I was saved from my enemies. How about Psalm 5, 10 and 12? But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them and may those who love your name boast about you. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. Psalm 61, 3 through 5. For you have been a refuge for me, a strong tower in the face of the enemy. I will dwell in your tent forever and take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. 
So how exactly does God protect us? How is he a shelter? Now I'm going to offer three ways that God is our tower, our fortress, our shelter, our refuge. And I do want to note that this is not an exhaustive list, and the five psalms I just read is nowhere near exhaustive. There's way more in the Word about how God is our refuge and our shelter and our fortress. But first and foremost, the way God protects us is he supernaturally protects us by his sovereign will. Consider Romans 8, 26 through 28. 28 is the verse everybody knows, but I'm going to start a little early because there's good stuff there. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, I included the first part there because it's important. God sovereignly protects his people as a fortress by sovereignly and particularly causing all events to work together for the good of those who know him and are called according to his purpose. That means that God, who the same God who numbers the hairs on your head, also orders the everyday affairs and details of your life to protect you and propel you into his good purposes and pleasures. To be clear, it won't always be easy or pain-free, but it will be always for your ultimate good if you are in Christ, if you are saved by Jesus, if you are called according to his purpose. So that shows us that the sovereign will of God who orders the details of our lives is a protection and a shelter. Um, And a bonus there that we see at the beginning verses the Holy Spirit is praying for us in our weakness. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, too, is ever living to intercede for his people. So way number one that God is our refuge is he is our refuge by sovereignly ordering the details of our life for our good. Number two, he also supernaturally protects us by his power and his angels. So first, the angels. God commands and organizes his angels for a variety of purposes, including protecting his people. So says passages like, for instance, Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Also, Hebrews 1, 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? But not only that, God himself protects us according to numerous passages like Psalm 121, 4 and 5. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. Also consider the promise to Israel in Isaiah 41 that Christians inherit also because we are grafted into the vine of Israel as God's people. Proverbs 41, 9 and 10, God says, I brought you from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners. I said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I haven't rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. So God protects us by his power, by his sovereign organization of the details of our lives, by his angels and by his righteous, mighty right hand. Finally, number three, he supernaturally protects us by his salvation and preservation for eternal life. 
Now, it was in 2011, years ago, before the coronavirus pandemic, John Piper tweeted out, The world death rate holds steady at 100%, Hebrews 9.27, which says, It is appointed for people to die once, and after this, judgment. In other words, what Piper's saying is, everybody's going to die. That's not good news, but it's a very appropriate tweet for today because the fact is, we are all going to die. Most of us not because of the coronavirus. Some of us are going to die tragically, some early, some horribly, and so on and so forth. That's discouraging. Or, you know, it would be if it were not for the supernatural preservation and salvation of Jesus. So here's his promise in John 3.16. Everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You get that? The not perish part? We're going to die. But if you're in Christ, you're not going to perish and rot away to nothing. You're going to be preserved. First Thessalonians 4, which is a passage we're going to read in just a few minutes, points us very specifically to this hope. Paul says, hey, Jesus is coming again. And when he, co- when he does come, the dead in Christ are going to rise first and they're going to meet the living in Christ people. And they're going to all be made new in the twinkling of an eye, in a blink. Our old, perishable, and mortal bodies will be made immortal and imperishable. So no matter how badly it ends for some of us, we will not perish. Because the moment our heart stops beating and we breathe our last, in the next moment, we will step into eternity as a blood-washed, Christ-saved, grace-purchased child of God. And what we will step into is many magnitudes better and more joyful than what we are stepping out of. So allow me to close with this bit of good news from John Piper about how God is our refuge. And Piper says this, You will follow his lead if you believe that he is your refuge and strength, which is what verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. People turn away from the risks of significance and choose the brief security of success because they don't really believe this, that God is their strength and God is refuge and God is their defender and their refreshment. But I want you to believe it, says Piper. Look at the connection between verses 2 and 3 and verse 6. of This is talking about Proverbs, Psalms 46. Though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, The words for shake and roar are the same Hebrew words used in verse 6. The nation's rage, or roar, and the kingdom's totter, or shake. The point of using these same words like this is to show that whether the threat to us is from nature, with earthquakes and floods and storms, allow me to add viruses to that, or from political upheaval and wars, as in verse 6, whether our world is shaking from nature or from the nations, or from viruses, or whatever, God is our refuge. And not just a refuge, but an active counterforce and a source of peace and refreshment. Verse 6b says that God's response to the raging nations is this, He utters His voice and the earth melts. His response to dangerous seas that roar and foam is to become for us another kind of water, a river, not a tumultuous sea, a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This is the secret this morning to whether you will choose significance or mere success. The risks of significance turn out to be no risk at all if you believe that God is your refuge and strength and defender and refreshment. I pray, says Piper, that you will believe it and that God will make plan the path of significance. Amen. Leviticus chapter 10 verse 1. 
Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his own fire pan, put fire in it, placed incense on it, and presented unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. Then fire came from the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has spoken. I will demonstrate my holiness to those who are near me, and I will reveal my glory before all the people. And Aaron remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Utziel, and said to them, Come here and carry your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. So they came forward and carried them in their tunics outside the camp, as Moses had said. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not let your hair hang loose and do not tear your clothes, or else you will die and the Lord will become angry with the whole community. However, your brothers, the whole house of Israel, may weep over the conflagration the Lord ignited. You must not go outside the entrance to the tent of meeting, or you will die, for the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses said. The Lord spoke to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or beer when you enter the tent of meeting, or else you will die. This is a permanent statute throughout your generations. You must distinguish between the holy and the common, the clean and the unclean, and teach the Israelites all the statutes that the Lord has given to them through Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and his remaining sons, Eleazar and Ithamar. Take the grain offering that is left over from the fire offerings to the Lord, and eat it prepared without yeast beside the altar, because it is especially holy. You must eat it in a holy place, because it is your portion and your sons from the fire offerings to the Lord. For this is what I was commanded. But you and your sons and your daughters may eat the breast of the presentation offering and the thigh of the contribution in any ceremonially clean place, because these portions have been assigned to you and your children from the Israelites' fellowship sacrifices. They are to bring the thigh of the contribution and the breast of the presentation offering, together with the offerings of fat portions made by fire, to present as a presentation offering before the Lord. It will belong permanently to you and your children as the Lord commanded. Then Moses inquired carefully about the male goat of the sin offering, but it had already been burned up. He was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's surviving sons, and asked, Why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? For it is especially holy, and he has assigned it to you to take away the guilt of the community and make atonement for them before the Lord. Since the blood was not brought inside the sanctuary, you should have eaten it in the sanctuary area as I commanded. But Aaron replied to Moses, See, today they presented their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. Since these things have happened to me, if I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been acceptable in the Lord's sight? When Moses heard this, it was acceptable to him. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 1. These two are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of King Hezekiah of Judah copied. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to investigate a matter. As the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings cannot be investigated. Remove impurities from silver and material will be produced for a silversmith. Remove the wicked from the king's presence, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Don't boast about yourself before the king, and don't stand in the place of the great. For it is better for him to say to you, Come up here, than to demote you in plain view of a noble. Don't take a matter to court hastily. Otherwise, what will you do afterward if your opponent humiliates you? Make your case with your opponent without revealing another secret. 
Otherwise, the one who hears will disgrace you, and you'll never live it down. A word spoken at the right time is like gold apples in silver settings. A wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. To those who sent him, a trustworthy envoy is like the coolness of snow on a harvest day. He refreshes the life of his masters. The one who boasts about a gift that does not exist is like clouds and wind without rain. A ruler can be persuaded through patience and a gentle tongue can break a bone. If you find honey, eat only what you need, otherwise you'll get sick from it and vomit. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, otherwise he'll get sick of you and hate you. A person giving false testimony against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, or a sharp arrow. Trusting an unreliable person in a difficult time is like a rotten tooth or a faltering foot. Singing songs to a troubled heart is like taking off clothing on a cold day or like pouring vinegar on soda. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat, and if he's thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The north wind produces rain, and a backbiting tongue angry looks. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. Good news from a distant land is like cold water to a parched throat. A righteous person who yields to the wicked is like a muddled, muddied spring or a polluted well. It is not good to eat too much honey or to seek glory after glory. A person who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. About brotherly love, we don't, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you're doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And brothers and sisters, may these words encourage and lift you up and edify you. Jesus is coming soon. I don't know how soon, but it will be soon. And whether we are in the ground when he comes or alive at his coming, we will meet him. 
and he will change us, and it's going to be glorious, and we will, as it says, always be with the Lord. May those words encourage you and bless you and build you up. Godspeed to you.